We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Do you remember the day you got your mission call? The day? Not like what day it was, but you oh, remember okay. like what that was like? Yeah, I remember getting it. And I remember I flipped through it to the map, like when I was open, and I took out the paper, and I, I saw Illinois right away. So I didn't do the whole, you know, <laughs> you have been called, you know, that whole thing. I knew it was Illinois, and then I closed it, and then I read it, and then it's Chicago and North Michigan. It was really weird because I remember when I was learning the American states, mm. I really liked Illinois because mm. it's a unique name. It's a unique shape, and it always stuck with me. It was like my favorite. And then when I got my mission call, all those feelings came rushing back, like, oh, it's Illinois. That makes sense. You know, type of thing. Yeah. Little did you know. I got my mission call in the mail. It took a week and a half after I sent in my papers. It was a Thursday. I know that. I got it on Thursday. Super fast. And I, I knew it was coming that day. And so I got it out of the mailbox, and I had to wait, like, three hours before people could come and we didn't have like a big giant thing it was like five people but everyone had guessed i was gonna go to argentina because my mom's from there both my parents had served there i had an uncle that served there like everyone's like oh you're going to argentina some people were like oh you're going to australia but it was always like these random places and uh i opened it and i started reading and i saw guatemala guatemala city south mission and i was like okay I'm pretty good at geography, and I know that Guatemala is in Central America, <laughs> but I don't know exactly where. And so then I started, you know, researching the rest of the day about Guatemala and learning all I could. And it's a, it's talking about how it's a jungle and there's monkeys and, you know, people were telling me, oh, I served in Honduras and I had to eat giant snails one time. And I was like, what? This is going to be crazy. And it, I mean, it was crazy in its own way, but it was nothing like anything I read. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Where I served, there was no jungle. <laughs> I, I was in the southeastern part of the country. Uh, most, why was it named Guatemala? It it means like place of many trees, and uh, it's pretty true. There's that yeah. that is very true. So anyway, um, there's a lot of like there's a lot of revelations in these six chapters, in these six sections. Like if you go to the Joseph Smith Revelations book. There's multiple within each chapter, and it's kind of... Yeah, I think it mentions in the manual that they combine yeah. some of them to make a section. Which kind of makes sense, because some of them are really short, and they kind of have something to do with each other and stuff. So one of, one of the things I was curious about is the Lord in Doctrine and Covenants, we have a lot of recorded revelations that he gives to specific people. But then they're also applicable to everyone. 
And in the revelations he gives, he uses certain words or phrases that are repeated. Some of them are repeated in multiple revelations, you know. Yeah. And they're kind of phrases that are, to me, I'm curious if it's, if some of the examples or analogies are things that those people um, understood that made sense to them. Like there was one where it's like, my, my word is sharp and it splits uh, the marrow from the sinew or something along those lines. And I don't know. But then would individuals in that era, would they be cooking bone marrow soup? Would they be <laughs> gutting animals and skinning them? Would that be a, something that was understood to them? You know? Yeah. Something that made sense. Something, well, yeah, it wouldn't be as maybe extreme sounding or strange sounding to them as it is to us. Well, I think like uh, when it comes to the Lord, how he interacts with people, one, we're told that the gospel is to be preached to everyone in their own tongue to their understanding. Right. So I would I would venture to say that the Lord uses the same principle with us that he asks us to use with others. Right. And then we're told at the beginning of this section or this lesson that the church was no more than six months old. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and it says no one had been a member of the church for more than six months. But there is also a lesson in this pattern for us today. If you know enough to accept the restored gospel by baptism, you know enough to share it with others. Right. That was really interesting. Well, it, I, I found, even on my mission, that that was some of, the, of our best member missionaries were recent converts. And it wasn't because they knew so much. It wasn't so because they were so scholarly and they had, you know, memorized the entire Book of Mormon or anything like that. It was just because they were so on fire with the Spirit. that they were like, everyone needs to know about this. You guys need to baptize my friends and my uncle and my, you know, and they would go with you. And it was like, and... It's kind of it's kind of interesting how over time you still know all of that's true and you still have a very strong testimony of it, but you kind of lose that eagerness, that desire to share it so readily with everyone. Yeah, and I also think you also forget what it's like to have made the transition, you know, yeah. to to go from not knowing something to knowing something because it is true. Sometimes we get so used to our vernacular and our um, meeting styles in mm. in the style by which we just the practices of the church you know we we sit here then we split up for Sunday school then we split up for elders quorum and, and relief society you know just some of the things that to us is very normal to other people maybe like oh so you have church and then you have like classes after or do you have them before and then you have something called Sunday school but then you have something called elders quorum then you have some reliefs you know and sometimes all of that can distract someone who's new and overwhelm them. I, I often think the Lord teaches simple truths, and it's not because they're not powerful or they're dumbed down. I think it's because he knows everything, and so he can boil down the most important thing that you need to focus on right now. And I think likewise we need to think about some of the ways we share the gospel I mean, you, it's like this, this uh, lesson says, you don't have to know everything. And in fact, in, 
in a gospel that is eternal and progresses forever, you may never know everything. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then you have our Savior who tells us all to share it. Because I think by sharing it, by teaching, by sharing what you believe, I think it also helps you be able to quantify or be able to put into words your experience. And, and it's a good exercise for everybody. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, though, how in these chapters you see, yeah, there aren't any, there's nobody that's been a member longer than six months, but the Lord's not wasting any time. He's starting to send them out immediately and call them to go different places and to serve in different ways. And even poor David Whitmer, you know, <laughs> he's the first one to kind of be uh, called out here in, in verse one of section 30. You have feared man and have not relied on me for strength as you ought. But your mind has been on things of the earth more than on things of me, your maker. In the ministry whereunto you have been called, and you have not given heed unto my spirit and to those who were set over you, but have been persuaded by those whom I have not commanded. Wherefore you are left to inquire for yourself at my hand and ponder upon things which you have received. I think at the same time that it's kind of uh, he's being chastised, it's it's kind of in a way that's like, look, you need to refocus yourself. You need to take some time and ponder this out. Where do you stand? What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to look at other people and be worried about what they're doing? Or are you going to worry about what the Lord wants? It's a, kind of a loving way of saying, look, you're not doing the right thing, and I'm not going to condemn you forever because of it, but you need to take some time and reanalyze your priorities. That That last sentence on verse to really stuck out to me, but but have been persuaded by those whom I have not commanded. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because I think that's true. That's a timeless <laughs> principle mm-hmm. of when we fear men more than God, we're heeding the their voices more. We're more persuaded by their thinking and we're persuaded by their ideals or the way they look at life the way they value things more than the way that God values things or whom I have not commanded or his servants, you know, people that have taken the honor unto themselves and are not ordained or are not part of, you know, the priesthood, but we have been persuaded by them, which is interesting because it means that you can be a member of the church. You can have the Holy Ghost. You can be have a calling and you can be in good standing and be persuaded by other forces that are not correct or are not part of the church. So, which means no one is impervious. And the Lord, knowing that, tells us and calls us out and says, there's a lot of correction in these chapters, but a lot of, also a lot of encouragement. One of the things I found really interesting was, what was it, um, in verse 31 later on, uh, when he's talking to Thomas B. Marsh. I thought it was verse 10, which he says, Behold, I say unto you that you shall be a physician unto the church, but not unto the world, for they will not receive you. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, even, well, at the end of section 30, that, and in verse 11, um, it's a really cool promise, and I think this is one kind of one of those things that extends beyond the specific individual that the Lord is speaking to. 
It says, and your whole labor shall be in Zion with all your soul from henceforth. Yea, you shall ever open your mouth in my cause, not fearing what man can do. For I am with you. Amen. And I think that, that that's when, when we're on the right path and when we're really trying to do what the Lord would want us to do. Um, it doesn't really matter what else the world is is doing or what they might think about what you're doing and kind of you know tying that into what you were saying in verse 10 of, of section 31 they will not receive you it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the world is doing just keep your focus on the lord your eye single to his glory what am i doing on a daily basis am i doing things am i what is my motivation am i doing it because of guilt am i doing it because of fear of judgment or am i doing it because the lord said so and even good stuff right Am I going to church because if I don't, then my neighbors will know I'm inactive? And that's that's stupid, right? <laughs> the Lord's saying, don't go to church for other people. Don't go to church because you're you you fear judgment or whatever. Go to church to worship. Am I am I not drinking alcohol because if someone were to see me at the bar, they would think, oh, he's an alcoholic, and he, you know, am I? What is your motivation behind being obedient? I I think that's very very important also for missionary work because the Lord is it's almost like in a lot of these chapters he's always re-emphasizing and um, reassuring the saints what I told you to do is the right thing continue to do that thing don't worry about what they tell you to do don't worry about what they value I'm telling you the greatest value is the soul or or you know the happiness you'll have with others or to cry repentance and, and these things, and I th and it's true. That's so true of our time because we can easily look around and we can find, you know, what millions of articles and posts and things online that'll tell you how to be successful, how to measure your success, how to be fulfilled, what what is fulfillment, how to develop this, how to do that, how how to be happy, you know, and. All of those, they're not necessarily bad, but are they distracting you from the essential things that the Lord has tasked you with? And so often, I, I see this with my kids, you tell them something and they quickly want to grasp the next thing. And it's like, you got to master this, because if you, if you head down that road, you grasp the next thing you shouldn't right now, sure, you'll feel great. But without learning the technique or learning the math or your multiplications or division or learning fractions really well, you're, you can, you can sure, you, you know how to get the answer. But if you don't know how to do it and, and why it works, you know, like using a calculator, you can use a calculator to get your answer. But in the long run, that's going to prevent you from greater growth, you know. Right. And, and I think a lot of what the Lord, I think sometimes we think there's inconsistencies in the gospel and in commandments and in scriptures when a lot of the time it's not inconsistency it's more timing the timing and the commandment and the audience in the season requires that this is what this people focused on this was what was given and for us who are looking at all of these scriptures and are blessed with looking at all of these examples it is wisdom in us to Look at them all and then seek the spirit to know what example is the one that applies to us or it's the right time for us to to be applying. You know, I don't know. If that makes sense. No, it does. And 
that's crucial because like you said those things that apply to learning a skill the gospel might as well be treated like a skill your your growth of christ-like attributes that's something that happens over time and it takes practice and it takes like awareness of what you're lacking and sometimes it takes a long time to make any progress but you have to learn the, the lord always works line upon line always and this is included in that so in section 32 uh harley p pratt and ziba peterson are called to go to the lamanites yeah and this is kind of an interesting thing um when i was looking at the joseph smith's revelations book and i just want to read this really fast it it says um with long-standing interest in the american indians pratt no doubt welcomed the call he had set out for ohio from new york in the fall of 1826 when he was 19 with plans to preach to the indians he later recalled his youthful thoughts i will win the confidence of the red man i will learn his language i will tell him of jesus i will read to him the the I will read to him the scriptures. I will teach him the arts of peace, to hate war, to love his neighbor, to fear and love God. However, Pratt did not then follow through with his plan. Instead, he built a small log hut some 30 miles west of Cleveland, Ohio, and spent the winter in reading and study, especially the Bible. The following summer, he returned to New York, married Thankful Halsey, and went back to Ohio with his new bride. In 1829, Pratt, who was a Baptist, was influenced by Sidney Rigdon, a restorationist preacher affiliated with Alexander Campbell. Attracted to, by the Campbellites' efforts to recreate the primitive church in the New Testament and by their expectation of Christ's second coming, Pratt decided to become an itinerant preacher of their message. In summer of 1830, he and his wife left Ohio for their native place, Columbia County, New York, where he planned to preach. En route by canal boat, Pratt responded to what he felt were spiritual promptings and disembarked at Newark near Palmyra, leaving his wife to travel alone. Pratt encountered a Baptist deacon who loaned him a copy of the Book of Mormon. He soon knew and comprehended that the book was true. Pratt then traveled to the Palmyra area where he met Hiram Smith. Shortly after, the two traveled to Fayette where Pratt was baptized in the Church of Christ and ordained an elder. He then continued on to Columbia County to rejoin his wife and proselytize friends and family. I think it's interesting how he had this uh, desire to go and teach the American Indians, but it seemed like it was kind of along the wrong channel. It was, I'm going to go and enlighten these, these people, right? I'm going to go and bring them this knowledge and, and, and civilize them, you know, <laughs> and he didn't go, he didn't do it. He ended up kind of just going and building a cabin and studying instead, which is interesting because I think his intentions were good. Maybe the method, not the right way to go about it. Right. And I say that because of what it says in, in section 32 in verse one. And now concerning my, my servant, Parley P. Pratt, behold, I say unto him that as I live, I will that he shall declare my gospel and learn of me and be meek and lowly of heart. Don't go in there like some sort of uh, superhero that's going to go and save the masses, right? Go in there meek and lowly of heart. You're going to be called. You will go teach these people. You've already had the intention to do so. And that's probably why that may be why the Lord chose him to go and do that because he already had the, the desire to go and, and teach the, the native Americans, the Lamanites, as they put it here. But he, at age 19, I don't think he was doing it with the spirit, right? Not the right spirit. And I think at this point he was being told, listen, you go in there meek and lowly of heart and you will have success because now you're doing it with the, the Lord, 
not just on your own. What do you think of verse 4? And they shall give heed to that which is written and pretend to know other revelation, and they shall pray always that they may unfold the same to their understanding. I like that he's basically saying, don't try to read more than what's written. Don't try to have any more enlightened revelations more than what is actually written, because he basically says, don't pretend, pretend to know other revelation. Um, you, you'll understand what's written, but don't, don't go trying to create new things, I guess. It's hard with missionary work because you want to share what you believe and you want to share the gospel. And you see individuals and you feel like if you felt what I felt, you would have hope, you would have happiness, you know, your, your problems. And, and a lot of times we can see a lot of the problems and trials that people have are ones that the gospel can really help them avoid majority of them and overcome the ones that you can't avoid, you know. And it, there's a temptation to want to continue to elaborate to, the, to their convincing uh, because we think that that's the only thing that adds value is people being converted. Mm-hmm. And which is which is a byproduct, but that's kind of up to them. That's their agency, whether they accept it. I think for us, it's been asked to be a good example, to share the gospel with everyone. It, there, I've never seen any metric or commandment that says share the gospel and get at least five people baptized. <laughs> Or else you didn't share it right. The outcome, the desired outcome is you want to bring souls to Christ. But never has that become or should that become the objective. Right. And when that becomes the objective, then then you can feel like a failure. You can start changing things, almost converting people by your personality or by the programs of the church or, or things like that where we're converting them to things and not leading them straight to Jesus Christ. I don't know if that makes sense, but in the in the manual where it says, I am called to preach the gospel of Christ, just the first paragraph, it says, whether or not you have a formal calling as a missionary, the Lord wants you to share his gospel. And many of his words to the early missionaries as to this dispensation are for you too. And um, one of the things I thought was interesting that this all made me think about. It made me think a lot about uh, Alma in the Book of Mormon. Alma had many occasions where he had success, many occasions where he didn't have success. One in particular where he got ran out of town and he was sad. He was just sad. And then an angel comes and shows up and says, hey, you should be very happy because (laughs) I'm the same angel that told you you're going to heck for not being good and I'm here to tell you you're doing a great job you're you're everything you've done is pleasing to the Lord and as I'm if you put yourself in Alma's shoes you could easily say but how can that be when I was just rejected when maybe I didn't teach this right or maybe I approached it wrong or maybe I should have stood on the tower and handed out candy or, or something right and and that's not for us that's not how we measure our truth the Lord sees our success in our missionary work in bearing pure testimony in in inviting and inviting and being a good example if we do that regardless of how many people join we have done 
our job and the Lord is pleased with us. And sometimes we we tie people joining or being baptized or those enzyme story articles that are like the best case scenario movie, the happy movie ending to our missionary effort. And if it's not identical, if it's not like what appears to be the best successful thing, then we think we're a failure and we can give up or say, oh, you know, I'm, it's just a missionary thing. It's not my thing. I'm going to go do something else. And it's not, I'm saying it's not that difficult. If, if you're always ready, if you, if you always think of the gospel, you can always bear testimony. You'll have an example. It doesn't have to be, you know, this great thing. I, I remember I, I loved, a lot of people did not like the area book in you know, the mission area. And the area book is a book that you write people you contact. And you write where you found them. And you write, hey, I gave a Book of Mormon to this guy. Here's his address. We went back to him. And he wasn't interested. You know, or we are teaching this. And you have sections where you have actively progressing. You have inactive. Or you have people that don't have interest. Or even people that do not contact these people. Warning to the missionaries. They will send your dogs out to bite you or something like that. You know? <laughs> And it's always good to update the area book, but it's also good to go through it. And I had a lot of success from going back to the area book and they had a good experience with missionaries. And now I come along months or years later, and I'm like, hey, how are you guys going? And now their heart has been softened and now they're willing to listen more. Or that little short five minute interaction they had with other missionaries several months or years ago, stuck in their mind, like, like a little like a little prick and it started to remind them and it was something they always thought of. And there's so many people even now in, in my job that I've had to contact uh, a distributor of a certain machine that we're trying to purchase. I was talking to them and they said, Oh, you're from the church. Oh yeah. I met some of you guys years ago. And then you just have a little nice conversation and you, you're pleasant. You share, Oh, we do this work because it's, and, and it's the church is important and blah, blah. And, and that's it. And that's bearing testimony and you did it. And it's not, you know, you know, we, we have to be comfortable with being flexible and realize that you doing your job, will bless others and we cannot say how that will happen or when it will happen there was one we had one person i don't know if i've shared this story before but we had um in the mission office we had someone call in one day and we had book of mormons every book of mormon that we handed out in the mission we would glue in a little paper at the beginning that had the mission address you know a, a short message and the and the phone number to the mission office you know and there was a guy who called in. He worked at a landfill. And he's in, as he was working, he saw a Book of Mormon in the pile of garbage. He picked it up. He opened it up. He thought it was interesting. And he saw the number. And he called the number. And he called our office. <laughs> and it's like, and I always, I really like that story. Because it always makes me think, the missionaries to whomever they gave that book. They might have felt that that was a failure. into that situation, it wasn't. It ended up in the garbage. But somehow, someone else was because of that effort was led to contacting the missionaries and just learning more. And so you never really know, you know, it's not up for us to decide what success is. It's up for us to decide that we'll bear testimony, that we will live the gospel. I, I think we see a good example of that 
even in Section 33, with uh, Ezra Thayer and one of the all-time Hall of Fame names, Northrop Sweet. That's a, that's, a, that's a doozy right there. Um, who They were basically called to, to teach, to preach the gospel, and they both took two different routes. Sweet left the church eventually, and um, five others joined him, and they organized the Pure Church of Christ, as they called it. There were six members, and they commenced meetings and preachings, but that was pretty much as far as it went. And Ezra Thayer, on the other hand, it says he gathered a large congregation to hear Joseph Smith preach. According to his own account, Thayer filled his barn and some could not get in. Where Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, John Whitmer, Peter Whitmer Jr., Parley P. Pratt, and Ziba Peterson preached with great power. It doesn't go in to say how many people were baptized as a result of that. Maybe zero. We don't know. But the point is that he, he made the effort to open his doors to give the opportunity for people to come and listen. And he was pretty motivated um, by this by this revelation he got. He had a vision, um, he said, in which a man brought me a roll of paper and presented it to me and also a trumpet and told me to blow it. I told him I had never blown any in my life. He said, you can blow it, try it. I put it in my mouth and blowed on it. It made the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. The roll of paper was the revelation on me and Northrop Suite. Oliver was the man that brought the roll and the trumpet. When he brought the revelation on me in Northrop Suite, he said, here is a revelation from God for you. So in this vision, he was presented with, you know, we hear that you need to teach uh, with the voice of a trump. You know, that's a phrase that the Lord has used in these sections. And what that means is don't be shy. Preach it far and wide. Uh, be bold in your in your teaching. And his response was, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done that before. And it was like, you know what? Just try it. Just try it. You don't need to know really anything. Just allow the Lord to do that part. If you do your part, which may be opening your barn doors and saying, hey, come and teach and come, everybody come listen. Maybe that's it. But if you don't do that, then you might end up like Northrop Sweet, who tried to do his own thing and start his own church and lost out on who knows what blessings. I mean, those are two pretty extreme examples. <laughs> it's not like if you don't open your doors, then you're you're going to go apostate but what it what it teaches me is that all he asks is that we try he's not expecting us to uh, have hundreds and hundreds of converts or or we're a failure he's just saying i need you to try blow the trumpet just give it a shot it's something like the gospel is something very personal and very sacred and we fear that someone will mock it we fear that someone will make fun of us you know ridicule us but that that's going to happen in regards to the gospel. <laughs> that, that's part of life, you know what I mean? And if we take the example of the Savior, he gave everything up to his body to be ridiculed and mocked. And that's whom we follow. So if he could do that, we can do this. And, and he knows. He knows what he's asking. He knows our anxieties, our inabilities and he knows our talents and he knows what is not our talent things that we're working on one of the best things we can do is to pray honestly and now more than ever there are more ways of sharing the gospel than these people that they had to take a trip take food with them take whatever they could carry and go walk for like 50 60 100 miles 
and then stand in the corner of somewhere and start shouting things until somebody was interested enough to come <laughs> listen, right? We can be a lot more precise, and there's many, many ways of sharing the gospel. Some ways you can share the gospel without even talking, by your actions, by helping, by doing an act of kindness. We're only limited by our fear. Um, we, we, I remember we had an area, uh, it was in Waukegan, Waukegan, Illinois, that uh, it was really rough. Like nothing was happening, like nothing. It, it was, I think, a very prominent religious area of another religion. And every door approach was just not happening. <laughs> and so we decided... It was it was silly, but we decided we were just gonna walk around and wave at people and smile and see if we can help anybody. And I remember I I remember these in, these people they had a they had a pile of shingles. They were getting their they were redoing their roof, mm. and it was just a giant pile of old shingles. And they were moving them to the back on this trailer. And I remember me and my companion were like, let's just go help them, and and not say anything. Let's just help them. And so we just walked up and started grabbing the shingles and taking them over to the trailer. And I remember it was the husband, the wife, and a couple kids. And we did that for a couple minutes, and then they started asking us questions. Hey, thanks for the help. And, you know, it was weird. It was a weird thing, but I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It, and it worked. I mean, we got to talk with them. They, we came back and had dinner with them. They never were baptized, but they just had a good interaction. And now maybe next time... A set of missionaries comes along they'll be like hey you guys are the same church and they just have a good interaction you know to remember that that's the impression i got when i was a missionary is that there are a lot of people who need the gospel who don't realize it yet or maybe they don't feel they need it yet and the fact that they're not ready yet does not mean that they're in the wrong or that the missionaries are inadequate it just means they need more time or the Lord is working on them and needs to prepare them for the message. And like you said, oftentimes that good experience, that positive experience, is all we need to provide right now. And we don't need to feel like, now it's my job to convert them. I've helped them move shingles. Now be converted. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? You know, <laughs> No, I don't even know anything about this, you know. But they will have a positive experience. And they... If they hear someone talking bad about the church or about the elders, they might be like, I don't know, they seem like good guys. I met with them one time and they, they were really pretty cool. And that that might be enough for them to eventually, when they are ready, want to hear more. And I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time, I think, in the early part of my mission feeling very frustrated that I wasn't more effective, that I wasn't, you know, just a fireball. And I think it took some time for me to learn that as long as every interaction that people have with me is as positive as possible, um, I'm doing, I'm emulating Christ. That's what I need to do. I'm his representative. If someone asks questions, wants to learn more, I will be ready to provide those answers. But if all they want is to move some shingles, then I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to provide. What would Christ do in that moment? He'd probably move the shingles and be like, do you need anything else? No, do you guys want to come back for dinner sometime? You know, <laughs> maybe he would, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't be like, okay, now you owe us your time. You know, <laughs> yeah. anything like that. <laughs> I like um, in section thirty-three, verse four is pretty interesting. 
because uh, in three, in verse three, he says, the field is white already to harvest. And uh, he's saying, you know, this is the last time I shall call my laborers in the vineyard, which is, he's kind of saying, this is the last dispensation. And in verse four, he says, and my vineyard has become corrupted every whit, and there is none which doeth good, save it be a few. And they err in many instances because of priestcrafts all having corrupted, cor all having corrupt minds. And it's interesting because he's, He's kind of saying that there's a few good ones, but for the most part, everyone has become corrupted and they've become corrupted because they've been led to that corruption through these priestcrafts and it has corrupted their mind. And then um, and then in verse five, I think it's interesting, five and six. And verily I say unto you that this church have I established and called forth out of the wilderness. And even so, I will gather mine elect from the four corners quarters of the earth even as many as will believe in me and hearken unto my voice. And I don't know, I, as, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, the scripture in the New Testament in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and verse 20, where he says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in verse 20 he says, And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs and following. It's funny because in every dispensation, we, we talk about a dispensation, Lord calls a prophet, he gives them the gospel, they establish the church, they establish ordinances, they then start doing mission work, and then the dispensation falls away. People start not believing, killing the prophets, uh, you know, corruption. And then there's like a period of darkness where there's no no priesthood keys or or, or gospel uh, structure or church. But in that period of darkness, I think I go back to Dr. Covenant's verse four, where it's uh, verse four, yeah, where he's saying they become corrupted and none does good save a few, you know, and they err in many instances. So I'm going to, verse five, establish my church again. And I'm going to call forth and I'm going to gather my people and send them out to gather so they can hear my voice. And we see that kind of happen in the New Testament. You know, he, the apostles and in, in, in the disciples, they preached the gospel as if there was not going to be an apostasy. As if, you know, and I, and I think that's the difference. I think every apostle, prophet, Alma, Nephi, Helaman, they preached even when their civilization was in a decline and they saw it, this isn't going to last. They preached as if they could change that, even though it's up to people's agency. And I think that's how we need to preach when we preach. We need to not say, oh, you're, you're smoking, you're into bad habits. You're not, you're an apostasy. You're not, it's not for you. Or, or you're, you're heading down a road. There's no turning back for you. I think that's very sinful. I think that's very wrong and very ignorant, and that's not in accordance to the gospel. I think we take the example of all these great men and women that have gone before us, that at the end of their dispensation, they preached as if, because there were some that still believed. There were some, and even if they were rejected, they needed to have the opportunity to hear it and reject it for themselves. So then there is no excuse, you know? And, and that's what comes back to me about what, how do we measure success? Do we measure it by baptisms? Do we measure it by 
getting spotlighted in an enzyme article? Do, do we measure it by, you know, those kind of things? Or do we measure it by, I don't care who you are, I'll share with you what I believe. And what you do with it, that's up to you. But I know that I, it's a lot like in the Book of Mormon. So many times, that, like Jacob in Jacob 4, where he's like, in order for me to be spotless, I have to tell you what I'm about to tell you. In the, that that in applies the, to us too. Like, if if you want, the last thing you want is to be, you know, living a decent life, following the commandments, doing what you're supposed to do, and then get to the other side and the Lord's like, why didn't you share this? Why didn't you share this? You were happy. You were doing everything you, you were asked to do, except share it. Yeah. Because that would be like the most, I don't know, that would be the most frustrating thing, I think, to be like, but I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah, but the whole point was to help other people get there, too. Yeah. And it's, you see it in verse 8 of section 33. Open your mouths and they shall be filled and you shall become even as Nephi of old, who journeyed journey from Jerusalem in the wilderness. Open your mouths and spare not and you should be laden with sheaves upon your back. For lo, I am with you. He's saying he's promising them that they will be like Nephi. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> Uh, but all they have to do is is start. They just have to try. Just just make the effort, and so, I will take care of the rest. We have to look at it less as I need to convert people, and more like I need to provide the the means by which the Lord can convert people. That's what it is. I'm providing the conversations. I'm providing the exper experiences that the Lord can use the Spirit to convert people. That's what we need. I think one of the things that is interesting for our civilization or our humanity is that we attach value to things that are exclusive and limited in quantity the less of something there is the more valuable it becomes like gold or diamonds you know or things like that you know or a certain geographical place to have your home like the houses on the hill are worth more than the houses on the because there's only one hill right or whatever right <laughs> and with the gospel it's the opposite when we share it, it does not diminish its value. Well, when Christ fed the 5,000, it's not like the people who were at the end of the line got lesser bread and lesser fish. They got the same. Everyone got the same. Everyone was full. It said at the end, everyone was satisfied. And that's the way the gospel works. It's not like, well, I have to let you in and this is an exclusive club or... I don't know if I want to share it with that guy because I don't know if he's re worthy for it or ready for it or whatever. No, share it. The Lord will decide. That person has their agency to decide. It's your job to share it. It's our job to share it. In verse 10, it's in Doctrine and Covenants section 33, verse 10. It's really interesting because he, right after what you were saying, open your mouth, he says, yeah, open your mouth and they should be filled saying, repent, repent, and prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then verse 11, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for a remission of sins. Now, when we hear, you should cry repentance unto this generation. You should cry repentance. We'll cry repent. What are we actually being told to do? Are we being told, stand up and yell at people about all the things they're doing wrong? I think for us to cry repentance, we have to understand what repentance is. Repentance is a change. It's change, improvement, new behavior. And as we change, 
we let go of old things, habits, and we adopt new habits. That's repentance. So when you're speaking with a friend who, for example, they have a certain habit that they do that is not good, that you can see this clearly you're, you know, you're, you're going to bars to meet a girlfriend. And then after so many times, you realize you don't have good relationships, you know, things are falling apart. You know, you don't go to that friend and say, well, if you would just stop drinking or you you would be happier. There, I did it. I proclaim repentance. I did it. <laughs> Woohoo! You know, it's not that kind of behavior. It's more, I, I often think like a person doesn't appreciate water until they realize that they are thirsty. And that's a lot of how the gospel timing works. Knowing that you need to repent does nothing for you until you know that you need to repent, that you need to change, that this doesn't work anymore. And some individuals can, there's different ways of learning. Some individuals learn by observing and the example of others. Some individuals have to be the ones that stick their hand in the fire and get burned to realize, <laughs> oh, darn it, I don't like that, right? And we, as disciples of Christ, we have to learn from our Savior in how and when it's appropriate to cry repentance and, and the methods that we do that, you know. The way that Christ dealt with the woman at the well was different than the way he dealt with the woman caught in adultery, which is different than the way that he dealt with the salespeople at the temple which is different than the way that he dealt with the rich the rich guy that he did all these great things and he said oh well you only have one thing left to do and and so we need to really internalize and think about what the savior is asking of us and then use his example to learn the different methods of teaching and approaching individuals and use the holy ghost for example to do what's right because misapplying a gospel principle can hurt individuals and drive them away, you know. And if we do it for, just like the priesthood, if we do it to gratify our pride or our ambition, if we do it for our glory, then then that's not the right way of doing it. If we do it to, hey, I'm, look at those people, I'm going to go point out why they're going to hell. <laughs> I'll be right back. Well, oh, I feel so like much better. That's kind of like what the situation was with with Parley P. Pratt going to the Lamanites, right? As a young man, he was probably going out there like, I'm going to go set them all straight. I'm going to go fix these people. And it, thankfully, he didn't try uh, because he got the, the real opportunity to do it later. And it was more like, a, you need to go with meekness and lowly, lowliness of heart and go and, and share with them the opportunity to make changes and really a reminding of what their ancestors once knew. That's that's kind of in in section 36 there in verse 7. It says, And this commandment shall be given to the elders of my church, that every man which will embrace it with singleness of heart may be ordained and sent forth, even as I have spoken. And I think that that's kind of the gist of these sections, really. I mean, he's everyone who's being baptized, everyone who's being ordained is then sent out as a missionary, you know, in some way, whether it's somewhere far away or to serve in the in the 
in the community in the local area. And I think that that's kind of another thing that can extend to us today. If you have embraced it with singleness of heart, you are called to be a missionary. Every member of missionary is not just a catchy phrase. Like it's literally how it works. If you really truly believe this, and if you adhere to it the way you should, you're called to share it and you're called to serve as a missionary to those around you. Um, I served a two-year full-time mission, but that my my missionary work should by no means be limited to that. If you did not have a chance to, or if you chose not to serve a mission, that doesn't mean you missed out on the opportunity. <laughs> this is everyone should be involved in this. The parable of the Good Samaritan. It hasn't been to lately that I've really that I've had this thought that I always thought. You know, it's a parable about if you see someone in need, help them, you know. Then I I look at it from the perspective of Jesus sharing this parable with the disciples to say something along the lines of that those those social structures where the Jews looked after the Jews, the 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 Samaritans after the Samaritans. And the reason why this parable is really stuck in my mind is because he's telling them a Samaritan looked after a Jew. And to the Jews who were thought of of being in the right, of having the gospel, they thought of themselves as God's people. Christ is showing them, here's an example of where an individual had more authority and exercised more discipleship and was more righteous before God and it had nothing to do with his calling or his ancestry. It had to do with his choice to go help that Jewish person. And when he helped them, he he wasn't he didn't do it for fame or glory. And he wasn't just gonna drag them into town. He took them into the inn. He had him healed and fed and everything and then to, told the innkeeper if anything else he needs when i come back i'll pay for it and i look at that and i think maybe that's how we need to approach missionary work that we're so invested in others and helping them be happy that these lines that we create of well they're not in my word why don't you talk why don't they have home teachers why don't they call their home teachers you know you know these lines that we make are kind of against what the Savior was trying to teach us with this parable. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.